I always like it on Sundays where we really sing out, you know. Sometimes everybody sings out. Everybody sung out good today, and I like that. That's a good, makes me want to preach longer when that happens. So that's a, that's a good thing. He didn't take away from my time. He added to my time. Uh-oh. Well, we don't have a, a slide today, but that's okay. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We've wrapped up chapter 7. It was kind of a tough one. Uh, we've preached some pretty tough stuff the last couple of weeks, and there's still some more tough stuff to come uh, in 1 Corinthians. Today we're going to cover, uh, Lord willing, all of chapter 8. Hey, there we go. we got us a slide. All of chapter 8. Just a short little chapter. We're kind of shifting gears from where we were, though. Uh, we had been really talking about marriage, about the importance of marriage. Uh, some of you in here tried to get me in trouble about some of my last couple sermons with some of the ladies, but I won't call any names. But we, uh, we have moved on past marriage and singleness, and today we're talking about uh, food that has been offered to idols. Now, kind of at first glance, this text may not seem like it applies to us, maybe in the same way in which it applied to the people then, uh, because uh, the issue of food offered to idols... It's probably not an issue that, that, that we face too much in our life, although it's still an issue in certain places in the world. So depending on where we may go to, we may uh, would experience exactly what's being talked about. But in our culture, at least here in Liberty, Mississippi, uh, this idea of, of, of eating food that has been offered to idols uh, may seem kind of foreign to us, but I still think that there are some things uh, that God can, can teach us through His Word this morning. So uh, we're going to read through all... Uh, of chapter 8, all 13 verses, and then we'll pray and we'll dig in. About food offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge inflates with pride, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. About eating food offered to idols, then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from Him, and we exist for Him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through Him, and we exist through Him. However, not everyone has this knowledge. In fact, some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food offered to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not make us acceptable to God. We are not inferior if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has this knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? Then the weak person, the brother for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this against the brothers and wound the weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to fall, I will never again eat meat, so that I won't cause my brother 
to fall. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you this morning. I thank you for this good word. God, there is so much good in this word today. So I pray that you just speak through me, dear Lord. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that you would lay down my pride, that you just would humble me to preach and teach your words in a way that's going to bring glory to you. God, help us to get it. Help me not to ramble on or or get sidetracked, but God, help me to preach your word right this morning, dear Lord. I pray that you'd help us to hear your word right, that you would help us to be free of distractions, not worried about stuff and things and, and maybe the people sitting next to us that's distracting us. God, help us all to be just tuned in and focused on you with all of our heart, dear Lord God, for these few minutes we can give you this time and help us to get something from this, God. Help us to understand what's going on here. Help us to understand what you're calling us to as Christians and help us to get your word today. And so, God, I pray that you just pour your Holy Spirit out on us today. God, you do the speaking. You do the you do the teaching. You do the preaching this morning, God, so that we may grow in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Let's break it down and kind of see what Paul is talking about here as he's talking about food offered to idols, but more so he's talking about the heart and the attitude of the Christian who have knowledge of what God has called us to. He says in verse 1, about food offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge inflates with pride, but love builds up. So kind of the, the thing that was going on is there were some, and I don't know who Paul was talking to here, if he was talking to those who were not Christians who they were trying to win over, or if he was talking to those who had came from an idolatrous background, they had worshipped idols, and they had since become Christians. Now, I tend to lean toward the fact that Paul may be speaking to Christians here simply because he refers to them as brothers later on in the text. But it could be that he's simply talking about lost souls, that is, those who do not have a knowledge of Jesus Christ, or if they are young Christians, that is, they have a knowledge and a saving grace of Jesus Christ, but they are still maturing. That is, that they are weak. That is, that they are still not very spiritually mature. So he could be speaking to non-believers, or he could be speaking to uh, new babes in Christ. The situation would have been that it would have been wrong for those who had worshipped, uh, who had sacrificed food to idols as an offering to then turn around and eat that food. And so that was part of the problem that was being dealt with there. They thought that if they ate food that had been sacrificed to an idol, that they were uh, committing a sin, that they were doing something wrong. Now, Paul goes on to clarify in the text that, look, it's not really what we eat that really makes much of a difference. But he kind of breaks the issue down as to how to deal with this issue. And so when he says, uh, we all have knowledge, knowledge inflates with pride, but love builds up. So as Christians, there is a knowledge there as to what is right and wrong. And the more we grow in the Lord, the more we begin to dig into God's Word, the more God may begin to reveal things to us, the more God may begin to make a change in our life. When we become uh, Christians, it's an instant change in progress. That is, we're instantly changed in Jesus Christ. Our heart has changed, our life has changed, but we're still a change in progress that will not be completed until the day that we come to know the Lord. And so there is some knowledge there that Paul says that the Christian has, but we need to be careful about the knowledge we have. That is, we may know what God calls us to, we may know the difference between right and wrong, and we may not even be doing wrong, And we may not know we're doing wrong, but 
Is what we are doing causing harm to a brother and sister in Christ? He says, look, we all have knowledge, but love builds up. See, that knowledge, that knowledge inflates with pride. Sometimes we may think we know it all. Sometimes we may think, well, I've been reading the Bible for years. I've been going to church for years. I know it all. And sometimes in our knowledge of knowing what God's Word says, we may do things that may not be sinful necessarily or may not be wrong, but that may cause a problem for a brother and sister in Christ. That may cause a problem for someone who we are trying to win to Christ or someone who has recently come to know the Lord because they may not know what we know. So we should have knowledge of the Lord. That's a great thing. Paul's not saying that having knowledge of the Lord is a bad thing. We need to know God's Word. We need to read God's Word and study God's Word and pray over God's Word. We want to know what God desires to teach us, how God desires to lead us, and how God desires to use us. But we don't ever want to think too highly of ourselves to the point where we are not showing the love that we should show for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we should have a gentle spirit, as the Bible would say, when we are dealing with non-believers, when we are dealing with those who are young believers who may not know any better, who may be doing some things that are wrong, and we know that they are wrong, or maybe they are convicted of things that aren't wrong, and we know they're not wrong, but we have to deal with them in a way uh, that is with love. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, look, you have a knowledge. You may think you know everything, but you may not know as much as you think you know. And sometimes as human beings, we do that, right? Sometimes we have a tendency to, 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 to learn a little, and then all of a sudden we know a lot. We just read a little bit about something, and all of a sudden we become experts in it. We may do it with a million different things. We may do it uh, with our Bible reading. We read through a, a one commentary or read the footnote in our Bible about what a verse says and we all of a sudden are an expert in that verse in the Bible. And sometimes we have a tendency as human beings to read a little bit or, or, or study a little bit and then all of a sudden we think we know a lot. And sometimes as Christians we may do the same thing. We may like to think ourselves a little more mature as a Christian than we actually are because we've come to church our whole life or we've read through a few scriptures of the Bible. And so Paul says, look, don't be inflated with pride. Don't think you have so much knowledge, even if you do have a lot of knowledge, to the point that it's going to make you eventually do something sinful toward a brother or sister in Christ. He goes on to say, if anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. So you may think you know it all, but you might not know as much as you think you know. And so it's good for us when we come across a situation in our life where, 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 where there's kind of something going on between us and, and somebody else who's a brother or sister in Christ. And, and sometimes we may think, well, I'm in the right and I'm not doing anything wrong. And guess what? You may not be. But what Paul is saying in these verses is, even though you may not be in the wrong, you still may need to make a change for your brother and sister in Christ. And that's what he's dealing with here. He says, look, even though you think you know you don't know everything as you ought to know it. So we're not all fully mature yet. We're not all experts by any means. We may know Scripture very well and praise the Lord for all that. Uh, these people may have knew God's Word very well and what God commanded, but he says, look, you don't quite know everything yet. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. About eating food offered to idols, then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. 
So Paul says, look, for the Christian, we know that there's nothing to an idol. Idols are, are, are just man-made things. They're made out of wood. They're made out of stone. They're made out of metal. They're just, they're just nothing. As Christians, we know that. We know that there is only one God. It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is the God of all of Israel. We know that there is only one God, but there are many people in this world still today, as it was in Paul's time, that still worship idols. They still worship other gods. And Paul says, look, we know better. We know that there is nothing to an idol. We know that it's nothing but just a man-made thing. It can't hear you. It can't talk back to you. We get that. There's a, that's, that's good that we have that knowledge. But he goes on to say in verse 5, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords. Now what he's saying there, not that there necessarily are many gods and many lords, but in the eyes of many people in the world, they think that there are many gods. They think that there are many worlds, uh, lords. And depending on where in the world you may go, you may find uh, people groups that worship all these different gods. Gods of the rain, gods of the, of, the, of the plants, gods of the sun, gods of the moon, whatever it may be. Paul says, look, there is only one God, even though there may be gods, they're not real. Even though there may be many people who worship gods or worship other lords, they are not real. And he goes on to kind of set a, a foundation here to remind the, the, the Christian, hey, this is where we stand. This is our foundation. This is what we believe. In verse 6 he says, yet for there is one God, the Father, all things are from him and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, all things are through him and we exist through him. So he states it pretty quick there. Hey, look, this is who we serve. We serve the Lord who is our Father. We serve the Son, Jesus Christ, who everything was made through Him, for Him. We exist through Him. We see that theme throughout the New Testament. We see it uh, in John chapter 1. We see it in Colossians chapter 1. That's kind of the same thing that we talked about in VBS this year. And so he's setting that foundation. He's dealing with the issue of, okay, here's a real issue that's going on. There's some dispute about food offered to idols. Uh, there may be some, some, some beliefs there, some people who are young Christians who... who may have heard of Jesus Christ, but they're still torn because they don't understand completely. Maybe there are some that they're trying to reach that don't really fully understand the God of Israel that Paul is talking about here. And he's saying, look, this issue is going on. There are many other gods that are worshipped, but look, we are founded in, uh, in God the Father and in Jesus Christ the Son. And then he goes on to deal with the issue a little more. Verse 7. However, not everyone has this knowledge. So he's saying, look, you have been given a knowledge. You know that God is the Father and that Jesus Christ is the Son. But not everyone has this knowledge. Now this is something that's good for us to be reminded of. In particular, probably, I think it's important for us because of where we live. Now we live in Liberty, Mississippi. We live in what used to be known as the Bible Belt. There are churches all around this place. Most of us probably grew up going to church. Most of us were probably exposed to Jesus Christ at a young age. Even when we went to school, our other classmates knew about Jesus Christ. When we go to other places, there are prayers before ball games. There are blessings that are said. And so we see that other people have similar beliefs as us. And it may be easy for us just to assume that well, surely everybody in the world has heard about Jesus Christ. There are Bibles everywhere. Bibles are easy to come by. How could there be anybody in this world, especially in the United States, who have never heard of Jesus Christ? And sometimes we may kind of have that mindset. 
Well, surely everybody's heard by now. But Paul says, look, not everybody has this knowledge about God the Father and about Jesus Christ. I promise you there are people right here in Liberty, Mississippi. I know it sounds crazy, but there are people right here in Liberty, Mississippi that I would bet have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They may have never read God's Word. There are people that don't know. And that's the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is, is, is we know better because we've seen God's Word. We know about Jesus Christ. But the non-Christian doesn't know better. They don't know about Jesus Christ. They don't know that they're a sinner in need of grace. That's where you and I come in. That's why it's our job. Because look, we have knowledge. We have knowledge of things the non-believer or perhaps the young believer in Christ may not have. Those of us who have been in Christ for many years and who have studied God's Word and read God's Word and God has revealed things to us, we have a knowledge that they don't have. And so with our knowledge, we need to use that to build people up. We, we use that knowledge to lead people to Christ and to build people who are young Christians up in Christ. But the problem that was going on in Paul's day was that there were some with knowledge, and even though they may not have been in the wrong, the actions that they were doing were causing harm to those they were trying to reach or to those who were babes in Christ. And so Paul reminds the people, not everybody has the same knowledge as you. Now, we may see this in our very church. If we've been walking with the Lord a long time, here's kind of the process that happened in my life, and it might have been different in your life, but here's kind of the processes that happened for me. Like there were things that I, I knew that I was a sinner. There were things that I knew were wrong. There were things that God convicted me of, and so I become a Christian and I repented of those things, and I try not to do those things because it was clear to me that those things were wrong. But there were still many other things that I still would do that I did not see that there was any wrong in them. And as I begin to grow in the Lord, as I begin to mature, as I begin to read God's Word, I begin to see, hey, you know what? Here's this other area of my life that shouldn't be this way. You know, I shouldn't have that attitude. I shouldn't act that way. I shouldn't say that thing. I shouldn't do that thing. And God would reveal something through me, to His Word, through hearing a sermon, through a song on the radio, and God would speak to me and my knowledge level would go up a little bit. Well, now there's another thing on my list that I know, hey, you know what? Maybe God didn't want me to do that. And as I continue to grow as a Christian, there are things that I didn't realize about myself, uh, areas that need to be changed, that I'm not living good for the Lord, that God, He'll reveal something to me. A few weeks go by, a few months go by, a few years go by, get a little more knowledge. God begins to reveal something else to me. And so as Christians, I believe that that's kind of the process that we go through. As we become a Christian, we are instantly changed, but we are a change in progress. That is, God is continuing to work through us. He's continuing to reveal things to us. Now, I think that God does that on purpose. Because if God were to take every single thing that was wrong, every single thing, and just throw it at you at once and say, bam, all this needs to change at once, it may be overwhelming. But the more we grow in the Lord, the more God begins to dig deeper into our hearts, and the more He begins to reveal things in our heart that aren't quite right, and our knowledge grows. But sometimes as a Christian, if we've been a Christian for many years and we know what God says, we may see a young Christian who may be doing something that's sinful and we may want to be very quick to jump on them and not give them any mercy or any grace or not be patient with them at all. Sometimes we may have that tendency, well, shame on them. But then sometimes I have to look back at my own life and say, 
well, you know what? When I was a young Christian, was I not doing the same thing or something very similar? And so we need to remember that if we are more mature in Christ and maybe not be so quick to condemn people. Do we want to lead them in the right way? Do we want to teach them? Absolutely we do. But we also want to realize that we are a work in progress. And guess what? There are probably things in your life right now that you may not realize that God may reveal to you and convict you of tomorrow, next week, next year, in 10 years. And we're going to continue to grow in the Lord if we are Christians. At least I hope we do. Hopefully we're not just kind of staying where we are and saying, all right, God, I'm all right. I know there's a few rough edges. I know there's a few sins, but I've got most of the big sins out of the way. You'll be okay with a few little sins. I'm just going to coast from here on out. Hopefully that's not the attitude that we have. Hopefully we're seeking the Lord to see those areas so that God can work in our lives. So he says, however, not everyone has this knowledge. Not everybody knows as much as you. In fact, some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food offered to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. All right, so here's the problem. Now, they've been taught their whole life that you don't eat food offered to an idol. They have a weak conscience. Now, Paul's already said, and we see throughout Scripture, that there's nothing wrong about what you eat. That's not what goes into a man that defiles a man. It's what's on the inside that comes out, as Jesus would say in Mark chapter 7. So we know that it's not anything on the outside that defiles a man. We know that it doesn't matter if you eat this or eat that. It's not going to make a difference. It's not going to affect uh, your salvation. But Paul says there are some who have a weak conscience because they believe that if you eat food offered to idols, then that's a sinful thing. Now, Paul knew better. Paul knew he could have eaten whatever he wanted to, and it was not going to make a difference in God's eyes. So he knew that, that, that even by eating that food, he wasn't sinning against the Lord. He was not doing anything wrong. Or was he? Well, as he would go through to say in the text, if well, let's read a little further and we'll see. Their conscience being weak is defiled. That is, in their, in their mind, even though it's not a sin against God to eat that meat or to eat that food, in their mind they think it is. In their mind they feel guilty for it. Uh, they have a weak conscience, and so he says, look, their conscience is defiled, therefore they have done wrong because they have sinned against their conscience because you have somehow used your knowledge to convince them to do something that while it may not be wrong, and their eyes is wrong. Now that's kind of a weird thing, right? That's kind of a weird thing to to kind of to kind of dig through. So let's read a little deeper. Maybe we can dig in a little deeper. Verse eight: Food will not make us acceptable to God. We are not inferior if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no ways becomes a stumbling block to the weak. Now, that's good stuff right there. That's, the, that's kind of the meat of the text. This is, this is what Paul is talking about here. This is what he's been getting to. He says, look, I know, and you as a Christian should know, that it doesn't matter what you eat. There's nothing that you're going to eat that's going to make you closer to God. It's not like that God blesses those who eat a Big Mac and that we're all going to go out of church today and we're going to eat a Big Mac and God is going to say, bless their hearts. They are eating a Big Mac. 
That's not the way God works. God's not going to look at us and say, boy, they are eating tomatoes today. Tomatoes are evil. I'm going to curse them for eating tomatoes. They are no longer mine. That's not what God is going to say. Food doesn't matter. Paul says it doesn't matter what you eat. If you eat a Big Mac or a tomato or eat a tomato on your Big Mac, oh no. Paul says it doesn't matter, and he says, I get that. He says as Christians who have knowledge of God's Word, we should get that. But he says, but be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. So we have a right to eat what we want to eat. It's not wrong for us to do that. But how is what we do a stumbling block to other people? Even if it's not wrong, how is it a stumbling block to other people? For if someone sees you, the one who has this knowledge, dining in an idol's temple... Won't the weak conscious be encouraged to eat food offered to idol? Then the weak person, the brother for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. So what we got to do is we got to kind of meet people where they are. We might have to change up a little bit some of the things we do to meet those needs of those who are weaker in Christ. Because Paul says, look, to be a stumbling block to him here is this. That is, you know that you have a right to do anything you want to do. So you eat the meat, and they're with you, and they see you eating that meat, and even though it's not wrong, they're thinking, boy, he's eating that meat offered to idols. He shouldn't be doing that. And you're saying, look, it's not wrong. I have knowledge. I know God's Word. I know it's not wrong to eat the meat. Come on, eat. Grab the meat. And boy, they don't want to, and they're reluctant, but they get that meat, and they begin to eat. And boy, they feel guilty. Their conscience is guilty because they're weak. And they eat that meat. And Paul says that's a sin for the Christian. Paul says if we use our freedom and our knowledge to convince somebody else to do something that they think is wrong, even if it's not, that's what's crazy, right? He says that we have called them to sin, caused them to sin and we have sinned against Christ. Now that's pretty intense stuff. So for those of us who are Christians who may be more mature, Sometimes, as Paul would say, we may need to give up some of our rights and give up some of our freedoms to help those who we're trying to reach, to help those who may not be as mature in Christ. Now, that's pretty intense stuff. And so it begs the question, could something be wrong for you and not wrong for me? Well, absolutely. Something could be wrong for you and not wrong for me because you may be convicted of it and I may not be convicted of it. Now, I may not be convicted of it and need to be convicted of it or you may need to be convicted of it and are not convicted of it and vice versa. So that's why we have to live by our convictions. And some may say, well, I don't think we should do this or I don't think we should do that. And if you don't think you should, then you shouldn't. You don't want to sin against the Lord. And as Christians, we don't want to try to convince other people, even if we may know, even if God's revealed it to us as clear as day and we know it's not wrong. If somebody uh, feels convicted of that and feels guilty of that in their conscience, then they need to not do that. So we should never try to convince someone to do something that they do not feel is right, even though we may know that it may be wrong. So what that may mean is, is that there may be something in your life that you need to change even if you are not wrong. Now that's tough stuff right there. 
that's where the rubber meets the road. Because if you're a mature Christian and you know something is not wrong and somebody else uh, thinks it is, you may need to say, all right, I know that this is not wrong in God's eyes, but I'm going to give in for the good of the person that I'm trying to minister to and trying to reach. And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where we really are able to see the difference between the mature Christian and the weak Christian. It's we sacrifice our freedom for the good of the others. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And I believe that that applies in many areas of our Christian walk. It doesn't necessarily just apply to food. Uh, food offered to idols is probably not something that we're tempting each other with. That's probably not a big deal in this church. I may be wrong, but I would say that that's probably something, an area that we're safe and not have to worry about. But this area of maybe sacrificing our freedom for the good of either's, uh, others may apply to many areas in our Christian walk. There may be times as Christians that even though that we are not in the wrong, that there may be something that we need to change about ourselves to reach a lost person. There may be things in our Christian walk that even though they aren't wrong that we don't need to do because what if the person we're trying to reach sees us? Is it going to have a positive impact on their uh, accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Is it going to have a positive impact uh, in their walk with the Lord? There are many areas in which that could be applied. There are many things which you may do or I may do that may not be wrong, but if somebody else is seeing you do it and they think it's wrong, are we willing to stop doing it? Now, does that mean that every time somebody thinks something we're doing is wrong, we need to stop doing it? I don't know the answer to that. There may be cases where people kind of go to the extreme. There may be uh, uh, cases where people have unreal expectations, and usually in those cases, those people aren't going to turn to the Lord no matter how good you are, how bad you are, no matter what you do or what you don't do. Uh, usually people who are going to point those things out is, here's why I don't want to go to church, here's why I don't want to listen to what you have to say. Well, they probably don't want to hear what God has to say anyway, no matter what you do or what you say. But there are still others that what you do or what you say or something you may change may make all the difference in the world. And that's what Paul is talking about. Verse 12. Now when you sin like this against your brothers and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Wow. Now get that. What, what was going on here? The eating of food was not bad. But by eating of food, it caused somebody else to do something that they thought was wrong, Paul says you have sinned against Christ. He says, look, they're weaker. They don't know any better. They need to mature, but you need to help them. You need to meet them where they are. And maybe throughout the process, when we meet those people and reach those people, we can begin to reveal truth to them and reveal knowledge to them to the point where they get to understand that, okay, eating food offered to idols is not a sinful thing. But Paul says, look, when we do that, when we do those things that, that may not be wrong but may cause our brother or sister to fail, to, to fall into a sin of their conscience, he says, look, we have sinned against Christ. Verse 13, Therefore, if food causes my brother to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause 
my brother to fall. Now, Paul was serious. He was serious. The rubber met the road with him. He didn't just preach it. He did it. He says, look, if it means I'm not ever going to eat any meat again to get somebody to come to Christ, he says, I don't want to eat meat again. He was ready to go full-on vegetarian to meet someone for Christ. That's a pretty drastic change. How many of us are willing to make any change in our life to reach someone, to bring them to Christ? Paul was serious about it. He said, look, food's a trivial thing. What's that trivial thing in your life that you're hung up on, that you're not willing to compromise, that maybe God may be saying, you know what? You're not wrong. You're right by what you believe or by what you're doing. You're not wrong by doing it. But maybe God's trying to say, but boy, if you would change this area, if you would meet this person where they are, you could reach them. You could tell them about Jesus Christ. They would listen to you. Paul's ready to change everything that they're... He says, look, if I need to stop eating meat, I'll stop eating meat. Now, that's pretty intense. Would you stop eating meat to reach somebody for Christ? I don't know. That's tough. I'd like to think I would, but that'd be tough, you know. That'd have to be pretty selfless. Like, it requires a lot of us as a Christian. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty big command that Paul is making here to say, look, if there's an area, something you can cut out or change about your life to reach people, Paul is saying, I'm going to do it. And in turn, he's saying, look, we should do it as well. I just had a big steak for dinner last night, and it was good. What if there was somebody I was trying to reach who was a vegetarian that thought that killing animals was horrible and eating animals was horrible? They're probably not going to listen to anything I have to say. Would I switch to eating salads all the time? What are other areas that, that that may apply in? What are some other things that you may be doing that somebody says, I'm not going to listen to what you have to say because you did this, because you did that, because you acted this way and you acted that way? Keep in mind, you may not be in the wrong. But that doesn't necessarily make you right. See, we don't ever want to go into any situation where we try to reach people where we feel like, I know everything, and I'm not wrong, and they're in the wrong, and they're the ones who are going to have to suffer for that. I know what God's Word says. I can do whatever I want to do. Well, Paul says, no. He says, no, you can't. He says, you can't do that. He said, you may be puffed up with pride like that. He said, but look, if that's your attitude then you're not dealing with people in love. You're dealing with people in pride. You don't care about the other person. If you're willing to say, I'm not going to change this one little thing to reach somebody for Christ, do you really care about them at all? Do you really love them at all? Paul would say, if your attitude is, I know everything and I know what I'm doing is right, I'm going to do what I want to do. Paul says, you're not acting out of love. You're acting out of pride. But what God calls us to is to act out of love. After all, that's what God did for us. That's how God deals with us. God doesn't deal with us out of pride. Praise the Lord for that. He deals with us in love. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He could have said, I ain't done anything wrong. I ain't done nothing but right. They're the ones who are doing wrong. Let them keep on the path they want to. They can answer for themselves. All I can do is do what I can do. I ain't done anything wrong. Jesus could have had the same attitude. He could have had the same heart. He could have dealt with us harshly in the same way. But he didn't. He dealt with us in love. He said, you know what? I see that they're sinners. I see that they struggle with a bunch of stuff that's wrong. I see that they're in a nasty old sinful world that's full of hatred and anger and fighting and feuding. Jesus says, I see that they are struggling with all those things. He said, but I'm going to go down there to them. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to meet them right where they are. 
I'm going to meet them in their markets. I'm going to meet them in their temples. I'm going to meet them in their towns. I'm going to meet them here. I'm going to meet them here. I'm going to meet the righteous. I'm going to meet the sinners. I'm going to meet the, the priest. I'm going to meet the prostitutes. I'm going to meet everybody in between. Jesus said, I'm going to go where they are. I'm going to do what i got to do to meet them where they are so that they can know that I love them. Jesus is the perfect example. Jesus is the example that we should follow. When we deal with people that we're trying to reach, we meet them where they are. Now, it's not that Paul was saying these people who were, had a weak conscience, he's not saying that he wants them to have a weak conscience forever. I don't think Paul has any desire for us to be immature Christians. The Bible would say just the opposite. The Bible would say, look, there are times as Christians where we should be eating solid spiritual food and we're still drinking spiritual milk. And the Bible would say we need to mature past those points. Paul is saying, look, they're weak, but he doesn't want them to stay weak. He wants us to love them and teach them right, to give them knowledge so that they are free from the guilt and the burden of those things that weighing them down. Those things of the world, those things of eating food offered to idols or whatever it may be. And so our goal as Christians is to meet people where they are in love and build them up in Christ so that they can reach people in Christ and love and build people up in Christ. So that they can reach people and build them up in Christ. And that's the cycle of Christianity. And when we begin to try to reach people with love, when we begin to say, you know what, I'm willing to, to sacrifice a little bit of myself. I'm willing to deny myself a little bit to build someone else up. Well, when we realize what that, and that's what Jesus did for us, and we realize that that's what God called us to do, and we say, yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to deny myself to build somebody else in Christ up. That's when we know that we're growing in the Lord. That's when we know that God's really changing our heart because we don't want to do that on our own as humans. That is a change. That is a thought. That is a desire. That is a motivation that comes from the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we come to you and we thank you for these words today. It's kind of some tough stuff, but God, help us to examine our own lives, dear Lord. Maybe we're in a situation where we're not doing wrong. Maybe we're doing right, dear Lord God. But we still may be causing somebody else to stumble. So God, help us to be patient with the weak. God, help us to realize our own weakness. Help us not to be so foolish as to think that we are the wise, that we are the mature, dear Lord. God, we're, we're all weak sinners. We're all in this process, and we thank you for loving us and, 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 and giving us your word and giving us hope through Jesus Christ, and we want to grow in you, dear Lord God. So help us not to ever be inflated with pride. Help us not to ever think that we've got all the knowledge and that we're the ones who are in the right and the others are, are the weak and that, that this, that, and the other. Well, God, the others may be the weak that we're dealing with, but help us to be the, the strong that we need to be to be able to do what needs to be done. God, help us to be selfless. Help us to humble ourselves and never think too highly of ourselves, but help us to look at our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to look to that those who we're trying to meet, dear Lord. Help us to be able to see them and say, you know what, I can reach them if I, if I change this little thing, if I go about this a little different. So God, help us to see those areas that may need a little tweaking in our life. Maybe there are some things that we need to say, you know what, I'm going to put this down, I'm going to avoid this, I'm going to stop this for a season. As Paul's, Paul says and as your word says, dear Lord, sometimes we have to be all things to all people. If we're with people that don't eat meat, then dear Lord, maybe we don't need to eat meat. If we're with people that do eat meat, we do eat meat, God. We, we, we just do what we need to do to try to reach people and help us never to forget that. 
God, we never want to compromise and do things that are sinful. We never want to change in a way or do things that are not right by you that, that you don't command. But dear Lord, there are some times that there are some things that maybe we could change in our life to reach others. So God, I pray that you would reveal that to us. Help us to understand that. Help us to get your word today. Help us to, to see those areas in our life where we need to be strengthened in you. And I pray that if there is one here today that has not accepted Jesus Christ, God, that they would do so today. That they would see the love that he came down and gave his life with so that they can have a relationship with him. God, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.